Welcome back for another episode of the Beyond Body podcast. I'm your host, Mia Findlay, an eating disorder survivor, advocate, and recovery coach. And this podcast is all about motivating, inspiring, and most importantly, getting real about mental health. As always, I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which I am seated and recording today, the Gadigal people. I send my respect to all elders and ancestors and any First Nations people listening. I am very happy to be back for another episode with you all. I know that I took another mini break. It was not planned. I got stuck in Bali after a week being on holiday. I developed a stomach bug. When I recovered from that, I got stuck with flights being cancelled for a week out of Bali. So there are worse places to get stuck. I am not complaining about that in any regard, but we are now back to scheduled programming with a YouTube video one week and podcast episode the next. And this is a really amazing one. I promised you that you would be introduced to the new coaches who we have been hiring at Beyond Body Coaching. And today you get to meet the wonderful Sophia. Sophia was one of the first people I interviewed when we were recruiting for this incredible team and we recruited so intentionally. It's not going to be a surprise to you when you listen to this chat why Sophia was an absolute yes from me when looking at filling these coaching spots to get more help out to more people. She is so incredibly gentle, kind, intelligent, really, really grounding, has an amazing story. She comes from an Asian background. She has dual citizenship between the UK and Pakistan and her ability to relate to so many different demographics and so many different experiences out of her own history, of course, coupled with the amazing CCI training that we've both been fortunate enough to do. It's going to become clear really quickly why I wanted to bring you her story and why I wanted to make her available to all the incredible people who've been reaching out over the last five years coming to our practice looking for help. And I think that will become increasingly clear as you meet more and more of our new amazing team members. So enjoy the chat with Sophia. If you would like to work with Sophia, please go and check out our website, beyondbodycoach.com or contact us at the email address, hello at beyondbodycoach.com. Enjoy our chat. So Sophia, thank you so much for being with us today on the Beyond Body podcast. It's a little bit of like two worlds in the Beyond Body realm colliding. It's the Beyond Body practice and then Beyond Body podcast. I would have given people a little bit of an intro as to how you came to be as a part of our practice. Um, And I'm really excited to introduce our community to the amazing people who are now a part of our team. So just so that people can get a bit familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, about life currently and about your eating disorder story, sort of up to the point of entering recovery? Yes, perfect. Thank you, Mia, for having me on. I'm so happy to be joining the Beyond Body team Um, So yeah, I live in Dubai in the UAE. I've been here for eight years. I moved here with my husband. And since we've been here, I've had two little ones. I've got one who is two and a half years old and one who's turning one next month. So sweet. Um, Yeah. And so I grew up in the UK. 
Um, but I'm dual heritage. So my father is Pakistani and my mum is English. So I spent a lot of my childhood going back and forth to Pakistan. So really immersing myself in very different cultures, mm. uh, which has been wonderful, really. Like, as my mum says, you kind of like get the best of both worlds. Mm. So it's um, been a really great experience. I think it gave me the bug for traveling. And that's why I probably love living abroad and yeah. um, so yeah. in terms of like career wise I actually started off as a children and family social worker in the UK and I worked doing that for a few years and then I took a little break and I went to teach English in Thailand and I just loved it yes wow. <laughs> I didn't know that how long did you do that for yeah I, it was only like a few months still it was yeah, but it was like a, a really big turning point for me, actually, because I just love the Thai people. The culture is amazing. Um, it was just it, it was actually a really great point in my journey of my with my eating disorder, actually, because it made me challenge so many food rules. And I just went by myself. Um, so it was a really great experience. Incredible. And I decided to come back and retrain to become a teacher. So I was a primary teacher in the UK and in Dubai. But since recovering, I just had this really big passion for supporting people who are going through eating disorders I think when you come out the other side you just feel so fortunate and grateful and have so much empathy for people who are going through eating disorders so I was searching and I came across the Carolyn Costin Institute coaching training and it aligned with everything I believed in my values and I was so excited to start love the training and then when I saw that you were taking on new coaches it just seemed perfect because again, I followed your content for so long and yeah, believe in everything that you've said in your values. So yeah, it feels like a perfect fit. So I'm really excited to be part of the team. Amazing. But yeah, but, yeah. So um, my eating disorder journey. Mm -hmm. So I got involved in different diets, I would say during my teenage years. Yeah, the old familiar story. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so different diets, a range of really random ones, uh, which are really weird to think back on. I got involved in, but anyway, I did um, and a lot of exercise, but I would say that it didn't tip into an eating disorder until I left university. I went to live in a town where I had no friends or family. <laughs> I started a really stressful job and I think back and I keep thinking why would I move to a town where I knew nobody but I think it was even if it was on a subconscious level I just wanted to be on my own with mm -hmm. the eating disorder to do what I wanted with nobody seeing what I could do and that is what happened like the rules became really entrenched my food became really restrictive the exercise really went up and nobody could see what I was doing so even though people in my family they knew that there was a little bit of a problem is how they would see it it didn't feel like they had to take action because nobody could see exactly what was happening so that went on for a few years and it wasn't until two big things happened that my eating disorder became really critical mm. and they were literally the best things that have ever happened to me in my life however with me like when I look back on my eating disorder the triggers for me are change mm -hmm. and being alone and these two things are massive change. Really? <laughs> uh, see, it's, it's, it. it's never good with change. Never. No. And now even, I'm not a massive fan of change, but I know if a change is coming up, I'm going to do everything I can to support myself, to feel okay. I'm not just going to go with it and expect everything to happen. Okay. So you learn a lot with your eating disorder that's going to help you for the rest of your life, isn't it? 100%. Um, 
Yeah. So the two things that happened was in the same year, in the January, I got offered a job in Dubai. Even though I went for this job, Mia, I wanted the job, but still it was stressful when I actually got it. Mm -hmm. And in April, my husband proposed to me again. I wanted him to propose to me like for years, but when it happened, I was petrified. And then in the August, we got married and we moved to Dubai and that and then I had a very close family member pass away again in August. So it was just like a load of changes I could not deal with. And when I came to Dubai, my eating disorder was just really, really bad, really critical um, to the point even I was like called into my head teacher's office and he said, you know, we're really worried about you. We're really concerned about you. So it, it really had got to a bad point and it continued to get worse. And, you know, being newlyweds, it was really stressful. It was tough because I was hiding behaviors from my husband. He was getting upset because he could see actually what was happening because he was living with me. Um, and then uh, we went to Pakistan for a second wedding. <laughs> so my dad said he wanted to throw us a lovely wedding. So it was a beautiful ceremony it was a beautiful visit but it was just the change of routine mm -hmm. um, not knowing what I was going to eat my eating sort of got worse and it was only a few days that trip but I was really faced with how bad it had gotten and when I returned to Dubai I knew that if I wanted to stay here and I wanted to stay living with my husband I had to do something I had to make a change mm -hmm. and so I did I think it was I hit rock bottom I wouldn't advise hitting rock bottom but I did and I started making changes. My husband was kind of like my recovery coach mm -hmm. <laughs> and helped me to get better. And I got to a certain point um, where I looked okay. People didn't worry about me as much. I actually got compliments for how I looked, but actually mentally I was still going through a lot of restriction, a lot of rules. Um, yeah, there was a lot of stress around the eating disorder still. And I went to this mindfulness event in Dubai. They had this pop-up event with little stalls with like yoga and journaling and all sorts of things. And there was one stall, which was the MIDA stall. So it's Middle East Eating Disorder Association. And having an eating disorder, I was like, Zoom, I'm going there. Um, and they had a quiz about eating disorders. Of course, I won because when you have an eating disorder, you consume every bit of recovery content there is. Yes, And yes. so I won and I um, got a appointment with a dietitian. Wow. So, yeah, I was so excited. A whole hour to talk about food, <laughs> like about my food. Like this was my heaven. Wait so till you I find went... out everything I know about nutrition, dietitian. Right? <laughs> You're going to want me on your team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I went and she was like, yeah, you've still got an eating disorder. Um and referred me to a therapist on her team, which I was very lucky um, to have because she was an incredible therapist um, over here. And that was the start of two years of very tough CBTE treatment. It was incredible. It was challenging every day. It was very action-based. So it was challenging fear foods, feeling the discomfort and doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was, uh, my husband kept coaching me through it every time after our sessions, it was like, what is the challenge foods you're doing today? And we do it each week. And mm -hmm. yeah, I came out the other side and yeah, I've got my, my kids now I've got all the kind of like incentives that I did it for my life has opened up and I'm happy that I've recovered. There's yeah. So Amazing. yeah, that's the journey. Amazing. Um, so in terms of your experience with 
you know, we've had chats about your recovery experience and the fact that you really hold your therapist in such high regard that it was really life-changing. What was the approach? What, what did you find so beneficial about the work that you did with that particular therapist? Why was it so sort of recovery um, revolutionizing, I suppose? Yeah, I think the amazing thing about it was the fact that it was so practical. Mm -hmm. So like I often have clients that, you know, speaking to me that it's they haven't got such a practical um, base to their therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a place for talking therapy. There is a place for overcoming traumas. And that's brilliant. But also you need with eating disorder, you just have to take action. So I had a um, food monitoring form that I'd have to write down everything that I ate in the day and we would review them every week. She would spot patterns. We would break patterns. This week you're breaking this pattern. I'd also, I had created a form actually myself of all my fear foods and I date when I'd eaten them. And in the beginning, that was really, really key because we could say, right, you haven't eaten this food and this food in a few weeks let's make sure this isn't creeping in to become a rule. Um, and then we would challenge it that week. Mm -hmm. And it just made sure that everything was staying in and it wasn't leaving my diet. And obviously over time, as the um, therapy continued, I was eating these fear foods without us having to set them just mm -hmm. because I felt like it, just because I fancied it. And that was really nice to see. Um, you kind of like, you could see that visually, but yeah. And then she just really helped me to challenge lots of body image issues. Again, it was just all very practical based. I'd go away and have to do an activity or an exercise where I'd have to really reflect on my values. Um, you know, it was all about like, which mantra of the day are you going to use? Which incentive are you going to have at the top of your kind of like form for the day as your, you know, way to motivate yourselves when times are getting kind of harder. So yeah, it was really practical and yeah, I have, I'm very grateful that she was the person I was referred to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Gosh, it sounds like such a fortuitous path into recovery. Like what if you hadn't gone to that event? What if you hadn't seen that store? What if you hadn't, right. you know, been, uh, if your eating disorder hadn't been a, you know, dietetics focused kind of uh, eating disorder right. and then all those steps that came afterwards, uh, it's, it's really fortunate that everything kind of went into place the way that it did when, and when you're ready to receive it as well, obviously right. that timing is the most important part of recovery at the beginning is how willing are you to see it and receive it and be curious and open to it. Absolutely. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I can totally understand then why coaching from your lived experience is so appealing to you, because when you've been on the receiving end of that practical support, like you said, you can go to a therapist, they're doing amazing work with people in recovery. You need to get to the core of where these issues stem from and understand yourself better, but there's so much of the doing and so much of the action that therapists by the majority don't have the uh, either training or capacity or time to work through all that really particular stuff. And uh, if you have that lived experience of why that's so important, and then you also obviously have the background of teaching and it all just meshes together so beautifully. Um, so what are some of the barriers to treatment for people who are experiencing them in your part of the world, sort of in Dubai? Um, because we have spoken about the fact that, you know, your treatment was incredible, but it's not necessarily something that's super, super available to a lot of people. 
So what are some of those logistical barriers or maybe cultural barriers? What, what are you, what's your awareness of why people might have a tricky time getting access to care in that area? I think number one over here, it, the treatment is very expensive. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have insurance, it's a lot, it, it is a lot to pay. Um, if you have a great insurance, it could be covered, but that's really rare. Mm -hmm. For me, initially, I did have to pay for my treatment. And then at a later point, it was covered on my husband's insurance where I was fortunate. But it was really tough initially to say, right, I'm going to invest in myself and I'm going to, you know, have the treatment. But not everybody's in that place where they can invest and do that. So that, I think, is number one. Number two, I think I was fortunate with the therapist that I had. She is fantastic. She's got a really good approach to eating disorders. But that's not the same for every therapist here in the, U the UA, there's not enough kind of like treatment um, and awareness and education for professionals. I think there is an association here called MEDA, Middle mm -hmm. East Eating Disorders Association, which is doing a lot to raise awareness with professionals and in schools and with other people. But again, even awareness um, with the public is is really tough. Um, they're going into schools and teaching children because I think there's this idea that an eating disorder is this kind of like emaciated young girl and we see that in a lot of parts of the world, but it really is here. And we know that eating disorders can be in any body type. You don't have to have be even underweight to have an eating disorder. So I think it is tough challenging those stereotypes. And um, I think the focus over here is a lot on people who maybe are, you know, are eating more compared to eating less because food is so available here. And I think then people forget about how difficult it is for people who are struggling with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd say that. And again, I think the stigma and that sort of thing is, is always going to be really prevalent. Mm -hmm. Is it something which is socially spoken about or is it is it quite hush-hush, like it's quite a you know, hidden kind of sec sec segment of mental health or health generally? Do you see, um, you know, you talk about meter, but are there many uh, sort of social barriers to people sharing that? Is there any, um, what, what would you say is contributing to that stigma? Is it just that expectation that somebody is supposed to look a certain way? Yeah, I think as well, yeah, there is, um, you know, that, there isn't a mental health generally isn't spoken up about enough. I think mm -hmm. like COVID in a lot of ways has helped us for people to be able to open up about what is going on for them. And the fact that there are so many aspects of mental health and eating disorders being one, but for sure isn't spoken enough about, but I know like now schools are doing a lot more to talk about mental health mm -hmm. and awareness, but yeah, more preventative work needs to be done, to be honest. There's not enough. There isn't many, there isn't charities, you know, like back home in the UK, we have Beats, we have different charities. I don't think there is so many charities here that are able to operate. And um, yeah, I think I think that's the tough, tough things about having an eating disorder over here. Yeah, it's the awareness piece, isn't it? It's, it's having that demonstration so. of how to have the conversation and how to spot it and um, and then how to, how to, deal with it, whether you're a parent or a partner or a teacher or whatever it is, uh, when there's that lack of awareness locally, it's very hard to expect anyone to be able to navigate it because where's the demonstration, right? And who um, do you refer them to? There's like not, not enough people to refer them, refer them to. And obviously, you know, even if 
doctors don't have that awareness because they have not had that training about eating disorders. If somebody presents to them with an eating disorder, mm-hmm. if they aren't a particular BMI, they might not even think to refer them on. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's very challenging for people. Yeah. And I know that in our discussions about sort of the clients that you're passionate about working with, um, that we've discussed, you know, uh, those barriers when it comes to representation, when it comes to people who are, say, from an Asian background, that there's, you know, even here in Australia, it's only been the last couple of years that we've seen representation be put at the forefront of, you know, uh, really trying to thoughtfully reach as many people as possible so they can see themselves in eating disorder, not just eating disorder experiences, but recovery experiences as well. Uh, So what do you think are some of those barriers as far as people from an Asian background being able to see themselves in that eating disorder narrative, but particularly that recovery narrative? Absolutely. I feel that there aren't enough of people from an Asian background representing mm-hmm. people who have recovered from eating disorders, even professionals working in this area. So that's why I feel so passionately about it. That I want other people who are from an Asian background to know you can recover. It's okay if you have an eating disorder, you can work through it. You don't have to hide it. There's no shame. There's no stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've worked with girls. I'm working with a girl who's from Pakistan, who is just incredible and amazing but her family are not accepting the fact that she has an eating disorder. They think it's something she should could kind of just fix herself. So mm-hmm. she's very embarrassed about what she's going through. And it's difficult for parents as well, I know, because they haven't grown up with this education around it. They don't understand what their children are going through. Um, another girl that I was working with her mom said you know she's starting this eating disorder you know it happened at the beginning of this year and she said no mom it started two years ago so I think that they don't understand the early signs they think that only if their child is really emaciated that they're suffering Mm -hmm. that they don't see that we know that if you're suffering from um, any sort of restriction any rules that are bounding over your life you're struggling from an eating disorder and you deserve to have help you don't have to be a certain body size to start receiving treatment actually it's better if things start to creep in get to it earlier but I don't think that there is that understanding and they have that embarrassment that maybe they failed in some sort of way so I do have compassion for the parents I have compassion for the families that don't understand this and potentially they might have experienced something but they never knew what it actually was they didn't know that it was an eating disorder they were going through it might not been them it might have been a family member we know there's such a genetic component mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um when you do recover you start to think back of your family members actually you start thinking i wonder if that person did i wonder if that person did but we didn't have youtube we didn't have your cha- channels like yours mia that kind of said yeah what you're going through isn't right and obviously people in a lot of these asian countries they don't have this girl didn't have great access to internet even to be able to connect with other people. So yeah. And again, I think, you know, in Asian uh, countries as well, like Pakistan, there aren't a lot of trained professionals. Um, so who it, there aren't many people to refer them to. So, and also of course, there's going to be things like right now in Pakistan, there's a massive natural disaster. They've just had a flood. So there's other things that kind of take over um, when there's people that can't eat and they, those kind of things get bumped up. And then mental health is such, it's going to be a one that kind of takes a back seat, sadly. So I think, yeah, it's definitely something I feel passionately about and something that 
I hope that if anybody's listening who is from an Asian background, I hope you know that full recovery is possible and Mm -hmm. please go out and seek help. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you touch on such an interesting point there that when there may be in a part of the world where there is, you know, um, so much adversity that we, it's kind of like generational as well. I'll have conversations with people who are of an older generation who say, well, back in our day, people didn't have eating disorders because we had actual problems. And it's like, well, no, people definitely had eating disorders. (laughs) We didn't have a language for it. And we certainly didn't have like the capacity to have those conversations because we weren't talking about any mental health ailments um, openly or, you know, um, uh, in any kind of awareness capacity. But I think that that raises a really interesting point where that can be that can be really relevant culturally as well, that, you know, mental health is kind of seen as maybe something that's not on par with these disasters or, you know, this adversity that people are going through in a more logistical, practical day to day sense. But what we also know is that mental health is very much linked to the quality of life that people are living uh, just because you have you live somewhere where adversity might be something that you um, that you encounter more frequently than maybe other parts of the world doesn't mean that that's not also contributing to some poor mental health outcomes, right? So it's a really interesting and it, it just point. makes it worse, doesn't it? It just adds an extra layer of challenge for those mm-hmm. people. How mm-hmm. difficult for them. So yeah, to completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think can be done or could be done as far as people seeing themselves in stories, whether it's from a media perspective, a social media perspective with professionals, et cetera, what, what are some things that you would hope to see changing so that people from uh, an Asian background could see themselves in the symptoms and the warning signs, but also in the possibility and hope of recovering and getting to a place of being recovered? Absolutely. There's some great charities out there. One Islam against eating disorders, Mm -hmm. which are doing amazing work. Um, So it's highlighting different people's stories of how they've recovered, how they've got better sharing information in a place where maybe people feel safe because there's other people who have come from similar backgrounds that Mm -hmm. they don't feel judged. So I think it needs more of this, more of this work around people coming forward, telling their stories, saying it's okay that you went through this, you know, that mental health is an illness, just like other people experience illness, there shouldn't be any shame around it. You know, so just telling them that full recovery is possible, signposting people to where they can go, where they can get support. Um, I think that that that's where it needs to come. I think awareness, awareness is key. Um, And I think like, I think a lot of times in these kind of countries as well, there might be more of a focus on kind of getting people up to a certain weight physically, but we need to also support people mentally Mm -hmm. to overcome those barriers and challenges and to know that they're, when they eat certain food, it's not just a recovery food. This is a change for life. You know, once it's in, it's in. So um, yeah, I think, I think that's the awareness is the key. 100%. Absolutely. It's, you know, if you can't see yourself in it, then how do you even know that that's possible for you? I've had comments on my social media for many years with people who haven't experienced eating disorders, but might be from a certain 
uh, cultural background saying, oh, I don't think this affects our community. And I'm like, it definitely does. But that just goes to show how much we've let so many people down that I, that always makes my heart break. Because I think, oh, God, you might have a family member and you're just totally missing. Or maybe you're having this conversation in front of them and they're then internalizing, oh, well, then there's something really wrong with me because apparently I'm not supposed to be uh, vulnerable to this sort of uh, issue, right? So, yeah. Yeah, for, for people going through it and as you beautifully highlighted for parents, et cetera, the awareness piece for them as well so that they at least know that, you know, they should need to be on the lookout or how, how to appropriately um, respond and, and yeah, it's all intersecting because we say awareness and then we're like, well, then we make people aware and then we have nowhere to send them. So then we need to look at the treatment part and, you know, it's, it's so much that we've got to do, but as long as we can bring it all forward together, then hopefully we can make some big change all across the world. Exactly. Yeah. I think people need to feel validated mm -hmm. and they feel, you know, somebody else that they can talk to somebody else who's been through it. And I know that they've really benefited from having a coach who has recovered and to just know that it is possible. Somebody from my background can go through it. I understand like the cultural aspects of how their parents might kind of react to it. And I think that's really helped our, you know, relationship with the coaching. Amazing. It makes me so, especially, you know, you and I have obviously, as I said, spoken about the kind of clients you're passionate about working with. And that's, you know, one of my goals with our team is for if people can't see themselves in everyone's story, I hope we offer somebody who they can relate to and say, I just immediately feel like I'm speaking worst possible term ever because it's confusing, but the same language. Um, and by same language, I mean understanding. Yeah, you do, you do understand. These are your probably your hesitations with, uh, you know, expressing this to a parent or within your social circle, etc. cetera. Uh, it's so, so important that there's that immediate uh, understanding of each other, that sort of unspoken language, I suppose, kind of like we all have in that eating disorder realm where you just kind of understand each other on a deeper unspoken level that doesn't need much explanation. Exactly. That's, that's, you said that perfectly. Exactly. You just get it. You just get it. You just understand those expectations. You understand the norms, you understand the kind of language around everything and the pressures and yeah, it, it requires no explanation, does it? Yeah, which just clears up so much time as opposed to, oh, I know I'm going to have to explain all of this. And I, I know that I'm going to have to give some context here and, and hope that, you know, we understand each other in that way and that this person's not going to make suggestions that are just like, I can't do that. I can't have, that's not how I can go about that. And, you know, having to tackle that, it's so good to just immediately come from that place of understanding. So what do you want people contemplating recovery to know? What would ha uh, you have needed at the start of your own journey with some of those considerations, thinking about sort of the history that you've shared today, some of your experiences, particularly with where you are located, et cetera. What would you want people to know that are the biggest lessons out of your particular experience? Yeah, I think if you're kind of contemplating recovery right now, Mm -hmm. All I can say is just do it. Mm -hmm. And I know it's tough. You're never going to feel 100% ready. But I don't have any regrets at all about recovering. And I don't know a person 
who has regrets about recovering. I just have regrets that I didn't start earlier. And obviously, as you've heard, I did have to go on a journey and we learned so much from that journey, but I just wish I did begin earlier. I feel like there was a bit of a cloud over my 20s. I still went to uni. I still got married. I still moved abroad. I still worked. So on the outside, it kind of all seems like, oh, everything was ticking over fine. But all I can say is just, I didn't fully enjoy all of it. I didn't fully get to enjoy my wedding day, for instance. I didn't fully get to enjoy my first job because I had all of these kind of thoughts going on in my mind and just go for it. And when, as you're kind of recovering, you're going to see glimmers of what your life is going to be like post-recovery. You know, you're going to see what it's going to be. Your world is going to open up in incredible ways that you can't even imagine right now, Mm -hmm. but just start the journey, even if it's baby steps, Mm -hmm. begin it. Um, Something else to remember is, you know, the process is not going to always be linear. So really have compassion for yourself. So don't, you know, I sometimes I come across clients who are really upset with themselves that maybe they didn't make the progress that they expected to. But, you know, it's all a journey. It's okay. You learn from all those kind of little setbacks as long as you get back on and you continue. You haven't ruined anything. You know, we, we always want to be like this perfect, have this perfect recovery and, yeah. <laughs> you'd be the first yeah. if someone came yeah. to me and said I have the perfect recovery I'd be like did you really recover though because yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have exactly. to learn how that's to be imperfect right I think that's part of the lesson actually oh, yeah like yeah. I think that's part of the lesson to learn that life isn't perfect you mm-hmm. can't do everything perfectly um definitely a big one is the people please don't do it alone yeah so yeah. that means reaching out to people you know, personally in your life, I couldn't have done it without my husband. I couldn't have done it without my mom, my sister, my family, my friends. And as my recovery went on, I would say in the beginning, I hardly had friends, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have room for them in my life. Mm -hmm. But as I recovered, just naturally, I didn't go, right, I'm recovering. So I'm going to go and find some friends. It just happened that I, my, my circle expanded and these amazing friends came into my life and I'm so grateful for them. And I still have them now. And they really supported me and encouraged me through my journey as well. And Mm -hmm. then professionally, you need the right support professionally. There are people who obviously, you know, like Carolyn Coston, for instance, who have recovered without professional help but for me for sure I needed professional help mm-hmm. I needed a therapist some people need a dietitian you know consider having a coach too these people are going to really help you in your recovery and pick you up and explain things to you and guide you um I couldn't have done it without my therapist to be honest mm-hmm. it you know I'm really really grateful to her so I think I think those are are sort of the main things but also yeah to um yeah and I guess the for me recovery you can't think your way out so just make sure that you're kind of taking actions you're never going to be able to think yourself ready to eat that food you just got to eat it feel the discomfort do it anyway and I promise you as it keeps going it's going to get easier Mm -hmm. so just action is really important yeah absolutely it's I think that people can spend a lot of time contemplating and thinking that that's going to make the doing easier. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is, you've, you've got to do it in reverse. It's the action. And then it's the unpacking and the distracting and the help seeking and the dialoguing. And it's all that stuff that makes that uh, tolerable or, you know, something you can, something you can cope uh, better with, but first you've got to kind of poke the bear and then you've got to do all that internal kind of thinking and learning and reflecting. But first we've got to get this moving along before the lessons are going to come out of it. The lessons are not going to come first. The action's got to come first. 
Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. So now that you are coaching and we've spoken a little bit about what makes you passionate about coaching and getting into it, what, what are you, uh, who, what, which demographics are you kind of drawn to as far as who you really were um, inspired to kind of get into this to help? Who, because for me in particular, you know, I went into it knowing that there were, um, you know, certain experiences that I knew I could really help somebody with because that had been my experience or things from my history that I knew that I could bring into my work. Who are the people that you think that you can really help with your experience and also coupled with the amazing training we've both been fortunate enough to do at CCI? Yeah, so, I mean, I feel passionate about supporting anybody who's Mm -hmm. got an eating disorder. I feel that if you've got an eating disorder and you're struggling, I want to help you. There's so many overlaps uh, with different eating disorders. Even if I haven't experienced a particular aspect of it, I know that there's going to be massive overlap and definitely loads of tools and techniques that helped me that are going to help you Mm -hmm. um of course I experienced anorexia and orthorexia and exercise compulsion so Mm -hmm. I guess that's probably where my specialisms would lie um I've being like a primary school teacher I understand like I can support like teens young children who are experiencing and also people who are my age Mm -hmm. somebody who is you know, wanting to start a family, has a young family, I get the stresses of motherhood as well. So I understand that that's like a real, really hard thing to balance. Um, And again, like, you know, I've got an English background and Pakistani background. So I really feel passionately about supporting people from a range of backgrounds Mm. um, and understanding that cultural element as well. And that kind of, you know, if you come from an Islamic background as well, I understand the difficulties that kind of can present as well um, with your family and also like the beautiful aspects of our religion that can be really super healing and helpful to your journey with recovery. There's so many beautiful parts of it that can, you know, marry so nicely with recovery and help you and mantras and things like that. So yeah, I guess, I guess that's where it is. Like I just, um, just feel like I want to help people that, that are struggling and, um, yeah, if you're somebody that feels that you could benefit from a coach, then please do reach out because mm-hmm. I'd love to help you. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people who are drawn to help those younger demographics like teens and kids when, you know, you were talking to me about your teaching background, et cetera, and, and we got to meet through the interview process. And, you know, obviously you're a deeply intelligent, very grounded person, but very, very calm and patient and, um, very uh you know gentle in your approach which is so so important particularly with that younger demographic and with and parents as well like you're kind of juggling a little bit of talking over the fence right I call myself like the eating disorder whisperer when it comes to interacting with carers and parents where it's like I can kind of speak both languages I remember what it's like to speak the child's language and I also know how to interpret it for you so you understand what's going on but it takes a very um very, very caring person to be able to do both of those things, which I know that you are more than capable of doing. And so glad that we have you on the team to, um, to be able to, yeah, provide that support, not only, and that applies not just to people who are under 18. There's so much work that we can do with carers and parents and partners, uh, no matter what the age range is 
right? We want people to have connection and support. And sometimes we need to offer that little bit of support to the people around them as well to make sure that they're feeling as supported personally and professionally as possible. So very, very proud that you are with us. Very excited to see uh, what we're all going to be able to do together and what you're all going to be doing individually. So if anybody would like to uh, inquire about uh, working with Sophia, you can reach out to us via our website, beyondbodycoach.com or at our email address, hello at beyondbodycoach.com. All of that is going to be available to you in the show notes or you know, you can always come through our Instagram as well, but they're the two best places to reach out. Sophia, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, so very happy to have you as part of the team. As I said, in our training, it's very lonely enterprise for a long time. And now I get to speak to all these lovely people every week. <laughs> thank you, Mia, honestly. So, so happy to be part of the team. You have guided us and supported us in the most beautiful way. And we're all really, really grateful. So thank you. Thank you.